the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. We think about the Christian experience. We try to wrap our minds around what God's grace is and what that means. And, of course, we can intellectualize this. We can attribute to grace unmerited favor. We can try to think through what this means, and yet I have to be honest with you, in the hmm, 40 years, I guess, now that I've been a Christian, as much as I think about grace and appreciate grace and experience grace and have it touch my life on a day-to-day basis, there's an aspect of grace that I don't understand, and that's probably a good thing, because there are aspects about grace that goes so far beyond, I think, our ability to intellectualize it. This holy and righteous God, in front of whose eyes we have all sinned, as we're told in Romans 3 and 23, dead in our transgressions, and yet while we were sinners, while we were yet sinners, God sent his only begotten Son to die on our behalf, that through that substitutionary work on the cross, we might not only be saved and forgiven, but reconciled unto him and experience grace in our day-to-day lives. Brian Christopher has written a new book called Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, How Your Christian Life is Really Supposed to Work. Bob, by the way, is CEO of Basic Gospel and host of the Daily Call-In radio program of the same name, Basic Gospel. And Bob, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Well, thank you, Craig. It's great to be with you. Looking forward to the time together. It's an important topic, I think, because um, believers, I think, of, of any stage in their walk with Christ need to be reminded of how incredible this grace is that God has shown toward us And the totality of what it means is we see Christ as that bridge between death and life and and what it means to be reconciled unto very God himself because of his grace for us, um, I think ought to simply leave every Christian, again, no matter what stage they're at in their walk with Christ, ought to leave every Christian absolutely with their minds blown by this. Oh, Craig, absolutely. Um, Most theologians, when they get to their later stages of life, and this has been through 2,000 years of church history, you know, when asked, you know, what is the most important subject uh, about Christianity? And they always choose the word grace, um, because even if they've been Christians for 50 years, 70 years, 80 years, they feel like they've just uh, scratched the surface. And, and grace is one of these big words. I mean, Jesus Christ is full of truth and grace. Jesus Christ is grace itself in, in essence. And when you think how big 
Jesus is, that's when you start to get a idea of just how big this grace of God is and how powerful it is to make us alive together with Christ. So I think it's the most important subject, the uh, most important word in the in the Bible, apart from Jesus Christ and, and the word God itself. Is it a word that we need to keep coming back to again and again and again? In other words, sometimes you, you hear some that might suggest that this grace is a one-time experience, that God showed his grace toward mankind uh, there at Calvary. We can uh, partake of that grace in our salvation experience, and then once one, once it's done, it's done. Is, is it that way, Bob, or is it really an ongoing experience? Well, it's an ongoing experience. I say in the book, you know, once grace gets started, it never ends. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite writers is D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And oh, yes. he said this, the Christian life starts with grace, it must continue with grace, and it ends with grace. Grace, wondrous grace. You never can get away from it. And as soon as you start getting away from, you know, the grace, grace of God... I find that's when things start to mess up. Um, I, I find that's when, you know, I get anxious, I lose peace, I've, you know, I have this restlessness inside. But every time I circle back to the grace of God and get a fresh look at what that exactly means in, in my everyday life, things start to settle down, and, and, and the peace of God that passes all understanding begins to fill up all the spaces in, in your mind. So I don't think we can ever get away from grace. I, I, I know most people and many folks um, communicate it as kind of first-grade stuff, but really it is it is the foundation, it's the building, it's the roof, it's, it's everything about this Christian life. Your book title, uh, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, uh, might suggest that there's a simplicity to this. And I guess it's kind of interesting because it, it, it it's simple to the degree that Scripture lays it out for us, and yet there's a level at which I don't know that we can ever really fully understand grace, can we? No, I, I don't think we can fully under, understand it because it's, it, it's really the essence of who Jesus is. And, and so we're ever going to be growing in our knowledge of, of Christ and growing in the grace of God and learning how this grace of God applies in, in everyday life. So it's a lifelong endeavor to grow in grace. And then, uh, you know, when we go to be with the Lord, when He comes back, when we all receive these resurrected bodies, we're going to stand as as testimonies to the grace of God throughout eternity. Uh, and boy, just when you think of that, then you realize just how powerful and how wonderful this grace really is. Break it down in terms of, of understanding um what this means when we talk about grace, um, we say unmerited favor, and uh, people might think, well, the, you mean like when the when the judge uh, throws out my parking ticket when I really should have gotten it anyway? Or <laughs> help us better understand that. Okay. Well, I think that's a really good question. And, uh, you know, if, if uh, you know, a judge throws out our parking ticket or uh, a cop decides not to give us uh, a ticket when indeed we've been speeding, that's that's uh, on the mercy side of the equation. Um, so that's withholding from us what we justly deserve. Grace is giving to us what we do not deserve. Um, so grace is this very present, active word 
in our lives. So all of us, when we come into this world, we're dead in trespasses and sin. So spiritual death is a big problem. We don't deserve life. There's nothing that we could do to merit life. There's nothing that we could do to bring it about for ourselves. So God, in his grace, has to reach down to us, even though we were dead, and make us alive together with Christ. So that's the first aspect of God's grace. It's, you know, when you read that uh, passage, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's, it's a gift of God, not of ourselves. Well, the whole context of that passage is going from death to life, that God makes us alive together with Christ. That's grace. He gives us what we did not deserve. And then it's this life of Christ that sustains us. So we're always in his favor. Nothing can separate us from his love. Um, by his grace, he's forgiven us of all of our sins. By his grace, he teaches us to say no to sin and to live righteous, upright lives. By this grace, he builds us up. He encourages us. He gives us a brand-new identity. He helps us through trials and tribulations uh, in life, and he works within us to bring about his purposes in our day-to-day experience. So grace touches every aspect of our lives. So I, I like to say that most people think of grace as a word that covers the past, but actually it's a word that meets us at our point of need in, in the present and moves us forward. So it's a forward-moving word um, tied to Jesus Christ, his spirit living within us. Um, that's just how wonderful it is. Bob Christopher with us tonight. We're looking at his latest book, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, how your Christian life is really supposed to work. Uh, you might be a new believer in your faith and struggling through some of these questions, and, and uh, we want to encourage you to take the opportunity to get your questions answered. Maybe you've been in the, in the faith uh, walk for a lot of years, but there's still some things that you don't quite understand. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. <laughs> And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. We're visiting with Bob Christopher, the book, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, How Your Christian Life is Really Supposed to Work. Let's talk a bit about this concept that you were sharing earlier that I think is an amazing one, and it will help us perhaps understand a bit more about the breadth and depth of God's love for us. Um, you talked about grace and sort of the first part idea that we see it as withholding punishment. It's an idea of something that is being kept from us. So we get the speeding ticket, but the judge decides to let us go even though he knows, we know, yes, we broke the law, yes, we are deserving of this punishment, but regardless, the judge shows his quote-unquote grace and keeps the punishment from us. But the grace of God goes so much further than that, as you were suggesting before the break, Bob, because it's not just a matter of God keeping a rightly deserved punishment from us, but then it's what he gives to us in and through that. Oh, absolutely. It is, it is Christ himself living in us. Uh, I've defined God's grace as this, God's work in Jesus Christ to make us spiritually alive and to power, empower us to live in this world as his children. 
so we we can't do that on our own and that's that's where i missed it for so long craig i i was trying to live out the the christian life with the old adage try harder every time i fell on my face i'd get up and make promises to god and you know i would just give it my best shot trying as hard as i could to live the christian life and the harder i I tried the tighter sin's grip became in my life and when i finally understood the grace of god as as being more than merely a covering for the past that's when the christian life started to make sense that's when i really discovered how it was supposed to work jesus christ living his life in and through us and i think that's what much of the christian world misses as far as the gospel message is concerned. Well, let's elaborate on this point for a moment. You, you mentioned, and I think rightfully so, the, the problematic viewpoint, which unfortunately in, in modern-day pop Christianity seems to be more and more prevalent, this idea of Christianity being a, like a self-help program or a self-improvement program. We hear this kind of nonsense preached from the pulpit of, of Joel Osteen. It sounds to me oftentimes like an Anthony Robbins seminar without walking on hot coals, and, and you have to pay, of course, <laughs> or contribute to the uh, to the offering plate at some point during the service. But it, it almost, well, it doesn't almost, it outright cheapens grace and and turns what God is meaning to be this wonderful experience of, as you suggest, not just withholding punishment, but then giving to us. It it really short circuits and robs us of the fullness of his grace when we see it as just this sort of self-help or self-improvement program. Yeah. God doesn't want to make us better. He wants to make dead people alive in Christ. I mean, our our old way of life was empty. Uh, Peter uh, really nailed it in his first letter when he said that life that was handed down to us from our moms and dads is nothing but an empty life. Uh, you can slice it every way you, you can, and it still comes up empty. So God sent Jesus to put an end to that old life and to raise us up with him so we could walk in the newness of life. And that newness of life is a life lived by grace, through faith, in Jesus. Um, And and we really have to learn to embrace that simplicity. And, And here's where the difficulty lies, Craig. Faith is a foreign concept to us until Christ comes in our lives. And then we start to discover what a life of faith is all about. So constantly from, you know, Genesis through Revelations, we see these reminders, trust the Lord, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Those who put their confidence in the Lord, those who believe the Lord, that's the one thing that God is looking for from us, a heart that believes Him. And in that faith, all kinds of incredible things happen in our day-to-day lives. But why is it that so often, Bob, we wind up getting bogged down in fear and in guilt? And it, it, it becomes, I, I think of, we see this every once in a while, some of these extreme sports programs on TV. And you watch these guys go in white water rafting, and all of a sudden they're heading down, and they think they're having the grand old time, and all of a sudden the, the torment of the water overcomes the, the raft and overcomes them. They might find themselves suddenly 
out of control and running off the edge like you're about to head, you know, right over the the edge of the, I don't know, uh, Niagara Falls or something, and, and suddenly you become absolutely overwhelmed by fear and guilt, just like the guys get overwhelmed by the torrent of water when they get out of control. How, how do you how do you go about extracting yourself from that when the flow of the current is so fast? Well, Craig, that's a great uh, that's a great point, and, and boy, a beautiful an- analogy there as far as fear in our lives. Um, you know, fear has to do with punishment. That's how John connected it in his his first letter and he says perfect love cast away that fear and if we're really going to grow in grace and embrace this new life that we have in christ we first have to settle that forgiveness issue we have to recognize that the blood of jesus actually did take away our sins once and for all um that is i think one of the most critical truth that that we need to latch on to and really take our stand upon. And that's the fact that when we receive Christ, we receive forgiveness of sins. Um, Paul said it twice, once in his book to the Ephesians, once in his letter to Colossians, that in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the question is, are you in Christ? And if you answer yes, then you can ask, well, what do you have according to these passages? Well, it says redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, the question that follows that is, do you really believe it? Do you really believe that right now, at this very moment, you have forgiveness of sins? And that becomes the real issue. If I struggle right there, that's when fear can take hold of my life. And we're going to pause on that point. When we come back, I want you to share with our listeners the uh, uh, Binaka story. I think it'll it'll paint a nice picture that will ideally illustrate the challenge here, particularly in that sense where sometimes we struggle with the notion that His grace is insufficient for us because we see ourselves as being unworthy and unlovable. And there's nothing worse when we end up getting caught. We'll come back to more of the conversation with Bob Christopher as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Simple Gospels, Simply Grace. Bob Christopher, my guest on this segment of Lifeline. And uh, Bob, as we talk about the struggles that we often have with this notion of uh, feeling unworthy, unlovable, sometimes uh, just feeling uncomfortable with the fact that we feel this sense of fear and guilt, uh, you've got a great story in the book about uh, your experience as a young man uh, with um, Binaka, which I have to be honest with you, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, I remember that. didn't realize they still made it. <laughs> but tell us a bit about that story. I think it, it ideally helps illustrate this point. Well, well, Craig, it, it was... Uh an experience in seventh or eighth grade i got involved in a shoplifting gang and we would go into drug stores and and we would just steal things things that we didn't need and one of those things that we stole quite often uh was this little breath freshener spray called banaca well one night uh friday night i spent the night with my friend david and we went out and 
went to one of those stores and we stole some binaca and we stole a lock. Why? It just for the challenge of it, I guess. And uh, so we came back home and, you know, I went home the next day and as, as things would have it, David's mom went into his room and started cleaning up and he, and, and she found the lock and she asked David, uh, where'd you get this? And, uh, he said, well, we stole it. And, you know, he just, he just, he just caved like any person would. And, uh, you know, as moms do, um, you know, she dug a little deeper and, and David told the whole story about, you know, Bob actually stole it and we got Banaka too. And so she, uh, you know, tried to figure out what to do. And then she picked up the phone and called my mom and uh, that next Monday, I was delivering papers. Uh, I had skipped out on my band band rehearsal. I was a truant, so, you know, I'm a thief and a truant. And, uh, you know, Mom's not real pleased with me. And uh, she says, get in the car. And I'm like, no, it's a beautiful day. And finally, she says, Banaka. And I was just done. I unraveled right then and there and knew I had been caught. And, you know, I could just imagine the punishment that was coming my way and uh mom and dad decided they were going to take me back to every store that i had stolen something from and i was going to get in front of the manager and confess what i had done and they were going to leave my punishment in these managers hands and fortunately for me they were lenient and just required that i pay back uh pay them the money for the things that i i stole which i did um, but that didn't relieve my guilt because I knew, you know, my sin held something with God. And at that point, I just walked on eggshells wondering what God was going to do with me. I knew punishment was just around the corner. And that fear just overcame me in such a way that every time I sinned, I felt Jesus left me. And so I had this formula. I'd confess. I would 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 ask God to forgive, and then I would ask Christ to come back in my life. And I probably prayed 500 different times during my teenage years for Jesus to come back and live in my life, because I didn't know what he had actually accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. And finally, I went to a Bible study, and the teacher started explaining Colossians chapter 2, when you were dead and your transpasses and sins, he made you alive together with Christ. He forgave all your sins. And that forgiveness just poured over me, just washed over me, and finally I rested in the finished work of Jesus. And that fear of punishment went away because I knew Jesus had taken my punishment for me. And in exchange for that, he gave me his righteousness. That's a pretty good deal. That's what grace is all about God giving to us what we do not deserve but because he loves us so much he was willing to send Jesus to take our punishment for us so that we could stand in his presence as righteous as Jesus Christ himself let's get to some calls we're going to head over to uh, Lee in Palo Alto Lee come on in with your comment or question for Bob Christopher Oh, that Banaka story was wonderful. I think uh, probably a lot of people could identify with it. I sure could. I remember beating myself up for years. But one thing that I wanted to ask, and I don't know how to ask it without sounding kind of like uh, expecting too much, 
um, or or putting a demand on God, which would be like a sin in of itself. But my question would be, when you know you're forgiven, when you know that it's finished, how do you um, somehow experience God's grace, not, and not like the everyday grace, where we have our health, we have the sun, we have our needs and whatever, but God's unmerited favor on a day-to-day basis with him actually walking with us. Um, I, I don't know if I asked that right. I just, I'm yeah. not talking well, I think about I, I'm, I'm following what you're saying there, uh, Lee, as, as far as how we experience the grace of God. I, I think the first way we experience it is, is, is by resting in his finished work. You know, most of us are are tense inside, we're anxious inside, because we're not sure if God really loves us or not, or if God has forgiven us or not. And when we finally come to that point and recognize that the work has been finished, we experience this sense of rest uh, inside of us. So that's the first way we experience it. And then we experience it... um, by the Word of God becoming strong in our lives and, and us learning to say no to the temptations uh, of, of this world and the temptations of sin. We recognize that what the world has to offer is just empty. And so I think we see a, a sense of victory in our lives as far as the world is concerned. And then I think the third way that we experience the grace of God is is by really getting to know the heart of the Father and learning to see the world through his eyes and people through his eyes. And we get so caught up on you know, in morality and trying to make the world a better place, but God sees people's hearts, and he, and he sees people in one of two ways. You either belong to him or you're still lost and dead in sin. And when we see it from God's perspective, then our hearts start to melt, and we want to reach out with that gospel message. So the the grace just gives us, um, I, I think, deeper insight into the very heart uh, of of God the Father and what His love is all about for this world and the people that we shoulder uh, with every single day of our lives. Does that help, Lee? Yeah, it does. It helps greatly. I, I remember in the Old Testament where you had these people that poured out their hearts to God, like Hannah, who couldn't have the child, and, and when she was in the temple with Eli, and, and she just poured out her heart. And, and God gave her the grace of answering that prayer. And I think the third one, because I, I know in my case I, I know I'm saved, and I'm in the Bible often and around other believers, but I want to see the, the, the Holy Spirit type, um, uh, how can I put it, like answer to prayer more than just in, in our area. Maybe it's just this area. It seems like there's a lot of Christians, but we're kind of impotent. Well, I think you're, I think you're right because... Um you know, our greatest asset, as far as believers are concerned, is is a knowledge of God. We really know what God is like because Jesus Christ has has made that known to us. You know, when we see Jesus, we see the Father, and so as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, and as we grow in our knowledge of who He is, 
I think we're going to see our hearts melt toward the world in a way that we want to reach out and and connect those people to the love of Christ just as we have been connected to the love of Christ. So just uh, just make it your prayer that, Lord, I want to grow in your grace. I want to grow in, in the knowledge of who you are. And I guarantee you that's a prayer he will answer, and you will see that being answered in time. Very helpful. All right. We appreciate your call tonight, Lee. I guess part of this, too, is, is, is the ongoing struggle that we have with the flesh, Bob. Um, we, we, at a level, because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, recognize that we are in need of, of forgiveness. Um, we recognize that we have sinned and offended a holy and righteous God, and, and yet it's difficult for us sometimes, once having had his grace extended to us, to fully accept that, embrace that, and I guess at certain levels um, even learn uh, the concept of forgiving ourselves as much as God has forgiven us. I, I got a kick in your book. You make reference, and this I think shows the, the level at which mankind struggles with this, that Stanford University here in our backyard actually has something they call the Forgiveness Project. Yes, yes, they do, and, and they're trying to figure out if forgiveness is really an essential part of, of well-being and health and, uh, you know, normal relationships, and they're discovering that that's, that that's the case. Um, but, but they spend a lot of time on this idea of forgiving ourselves. And, and it's interesting when you, when you scour the Word of God, there, there's no place there where God says you need to forgive yourself. What he does say is stand firmly in the forgiveness that I've given you in Christ. And when you recognize that, then you're able to let go of the past. You're able to let go of those things that you've been dragging around in life for years and years and years. So when, when we stand firmly in what Christ has accomplished, that's when we can really forgive ourselves and let go of the past and fully embrace um, the resurrected Christ here and now. Bob, we sure appreciate the time and the book, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, How Your Christian Life is Really Supposed to Work. The new book, by the way, published by Harvest House and available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com and uh, Bob's website, too, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace. And there again is Bob Christopher, host of the call-in radio program, Basic Gospel. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You've probably seen a lot of the hubbub as mainstream media has done their best the spoon-feed news of uh, Caitlyn Jenner, also known as Bruce Jenner, making the debut on Vanity Fair cover, posing as a transgender woman in lingerie. It's the first we've seen of Jenner in his new gender since the former Olympic athlete announced plans to transition to life as a woman at the age of 65. And for many of us, a reminder of... Well, just to confuse and changing society in which we live, a nation that for those of us that perhaps are over, over 50 wonder what's happened to our country and uh, wanting to at one level engage in the fight to make America a Christian nation again 
And yet, on the other hand, maybe being compelled to ask an even more important question, and that is, how can we, right where we live and work and play and engage, do a better job of engaging the culture all around us? There was a time in an age when you had to get on an airplane with a passport and travel to another part of the world to engage in the mission field. And today, the mission field is literally right out your front door, almost anywhere you live in America, and certainly anywhere in the San Francisco Bay Area. So what of this idea of living missionally right where you live today? Well, we've invited Jim Ramsey, the Vice President of Mission Ministries at the Mission Society, to join us with some insights uh, to that very question. And Jim, a delight to have you on the program. It's good to be here. First, I'm curious about your own journey. You left high-tech for the mission field. I understand you and your family spent uh, 10 years as missionaries in Kazakhstan, and that's uh, that's quite a transition. Yes, it was. Um, we, we felt called to mission from, from an earlier age, but it wasn't like a, a major, you know, sudden surprise to us. We always knew we wanted to serve, but the Lord had provided the IT work as something I could do while I was preparing, working through seminary, and we were starting our family. But it was a change. We uh, were in our early 30s when we when we moved from a small town Kentucky to a city in Central Asia in the country of Kazakhstan and served there for 10 years. And, of course, now you're here uh, back in the U.S. and serving as vice president of mission ministries with the Mission Society, as we mentioned. And uh, your your background, I think, as a missionary qualifies you in many ways, uh, Jim, uniquely to help us better understand and address this question. Because, as I suggested, it wasn't that many generations ago when engaging in missions work to other people and cultures and society in places that were very different of us meant getting a passport, hopping on an airplane, and heading overseas. And today, that largely means getting up and going to work in the morning, doesn't it? No doubt. I think that, uh, that missions has really become from everywhere to everywhere and that people can, can be involved in mission wherever they are. And I think uh, in some ways that's a positive. We still will always be people who will get on a plane and go because uh, there's some places in the world that will never hear the gospel if somebody doesn't do that because there's nobody around. But having said that, uh, we all know I, I think you'd have to be in a cocoon Uh, to not realize there are incredible needs and opportunities for sharing the gospel here in our own home country. Let's talk about attitudes concerning that very issue. I mean, there is a certain notion that believers have that we, we should live in such a fashion as we, we share our faith, we share the evangel or the, or the gospel with others. Uh, and yet, at least through the decade of the, the 80s and 90s, and, and maybe even to a certain degree today, um, a lot of uh, Christians um, do a good job at expressing our frustration over what we see going on in our culture and society today. You witnessed the news story that I shared um, at the top of the segment here. Uh, and we do a good job at that, and yet um, maybe our experience or our, our capacity to share our frustration is better honed than our capacity to actually share our faith. And again, at the end of the day, the question is, which of the two will have the greater impact on society around us, sharing our frustration or sharing our faith? I think you really hit on the, the crucial issue that I think the American church and the evangelical church in particular really is facing. I shared a story uh, in an article I wrote recently that, that really points this out. It was some years ago. We were still in Kazakhstan serving, and I had a, a friend who was on the faculty of a, of a small liberal arts college in the East here. And it was a college with a great Christian tradition, but like so many colleges, it had kind of wandered from that tradition in the, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. 
and he asked this question of me. They were about to engage some policies that were, were clearly in opposition to the biblical understanding of the faith. And, uh, and he was kind of fighting the policies and just getting really frustrated and, and feeling like he was fighting a losing battle. And he asked me this question. He said, I'm wondering if, if my mistake is trying to maintain the Christian identity of this institution, or so I learned what is it to live missionally in a non-Christian institution. And he was talking to me because as a missionary, he said, maybe I should have more of the thought of a missionary who doesn't expect the host culture to be Christian than to kind of try to fight for that. And I think that's the, the key question that, that we are faced as believers in this culture, is, is which are we going to fight to, to maintain the culture, or are we going to, to live missionally to invite people into a different uh, way of living? Well, certainly the mentality for many, many years, and we've seen this articulated at, at a national level, be historically by the likes of a, of a Jerry Falwell or the likes of a Pat Robertson and others, and that is that we there's a degree to which we have to fight to maintain the culture. Certainly that notion of being um, salt and light uh, makes sense at a degree, but I wonder if there's also a great degree, Jim, to which we kind of longingly look back toward a different time in America where we perceived it to be a Christian nation when, in fact, that's never really been entirely an, an accurate moniker for our country. And so it's almost as if we're, we're fighting to maintain something that, in the truest form, never really truly existed in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I have to ask that question. I know it, it's, it's not always popular to, to question that, but you, you think about that we sometimes do pine for the great years of the 50s when we were a Christian country, and yet if you look at some of the things that were in place and the rules, some of the treatment of people in our country in the 1950s, I think all would agree it was far from Christian, um, especially we look at some of the, the racial issues going on in our country at the time. So I think we, we sometimes have some selective memory. I, I don't mean to imply, therefore, there have been huge challenges, and certainly the, the Christian faith has fallen out of favor with the dominant culture. Uh, but I think sometimes in our, in our memory, or our, our selective memory, uh, we kind of pine for the yesteryear, and I, I really question, is that, is that what God would have us do, or is he looking for us to forge what does it look like to be a Christian in today's context rather than trying to recreate yesterday's context? And is that maybe because it's just easier to fall back to that position? There's a lot less uh, demanded of us in doing so. I mean, let's face it, we'll, we'll talk to any generation and talk about the good old days and say, well, the good old days. Are we talking about the good old days of the Cold War in the 1980s? Would that be the good old days of the Vietnam War in the 1970s? Would it be the good old days of, of uh, the, the spread of communism and, and enslaving the people throughout Europe in the 1980s? 1950s, the good old days of, of the 1940s during the Second World War? Which phase of the good old days are we referring to? So it, it seems as if you're right. It's not only a very selective memory, but sometimes maybe just simply an easier way to kind of default back to, because if mm-hmm. we can just um, vent our frustration over how things have changed, it really doesn't call upon us then to be engaged in the culture, to challenge the culture, to love the culture, to live, as you suggest, in a missional fashion, which means to understand that first and foremost, it is our job to be Christ's representatives on earth. And let's face it, there's a lot more work involved in doing that than just sitting back and complaining. I think so, and, and uh, one of my colleagues, Stan Self, uh, wrote recently, and I, I love this quote, he says, when we as evangelicals are so disheartened over the state of the Church in America, what are we bemoaning? Do we mourn the loss of Orthodox gospel preaching, or do we mourn the loss of our privileged place in society? Mm. And I think that's, that's a hard question, but I think we need to ask honestly, what, what are we upset about? Um, are we really upset about 
the true teachings of Christianity and the transformation that the gospel brings, or are we frustrated because the the kind of position of being the dominant um, the dominant understanding in the culture that being Christian was a culturally good and acceptable thing is that is that really what we're we're losing that that means there's a higher cost of the faith than maybe we we did sense thirty or forty years ago. Yeah, probably very true. And along with that, I think, uh, coincides this notion that, let's face it, missional living in a very unchristian or hostile environment, uh, and, and certainly Christians in China understand this, Christians in the Sudan, as we speak, understand what this is like, it comes at a higher cost. And so you're right. The question is, when we talk about paying the price, is the paying the price because we're being inconvenienced, or do we understand that our very faith itself requires us to pay a price, that there is a price? Christ for being counted amongst those that name Jesus as Lord and Savior. So maybe it's a good point for us to pause and engage in some introspection. You know, I use the Bruce Jenner story as kind of a jumping off point because everybody's been talking about it around the water cooler over the last 24 hours and many bemoaning this, this direction in which society seems to be headed. And yet, There is a bigger question here that remains unanswered for believers, and that is, um, do we long for the days of the Christian culture, or are we willing to influence the world around us uh, to understand what it really means to live out our faith missionally in a non-Christian environment? Our conversation today with Jim Ramsey, Vice President of Mission Ministries. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our visit as this edition of Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 